0: Hello and welcome to the Guru is You podcast. I'm your host, Laura Wall. This podcast is all about people who found unconventional methods to heal themselves physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Their stories contain a little bit of mystery, maybe some magic, and even miracles. And they're here to inspire you to remember you are more than your body. You are more than your mind. You are the guru, and the guru is you. Today's guest is the chief creative at The Third Way, where he teaches the principles of mystical leadership and non-dual thinking to entrepreneurs and leaders. He is also the co-founder of the intrinsic branding firm, Root & River, This poet, speaker, and mentor loves curating deep conversations and challenging the status quo. Join me in welcoming Justin Foster. Justin, like many of my guests, I'm certain that you've probably hit one of those moments where you realize that continuing forward was not the way you wanted things to go and you had to make some sort of adjustment. And maybe for you it was major. I'd I'd love to hear a little bit about that turning point in your life.
1: Thanks, Laura. I, I think this idea um, began to emerge, you know, it's, you, you always see it in retrospect, like you're like, oh, that's what that was 10 years ago. And so it's the gift of perspective is that I can see this trajectory and these beginning moments. And I think the the first part was when I realized that I was running life on resentment. Um, that resentment was really my belief system. I was using resentment to uh, stay in the church I was in, not because I resented the church, that was later, but because I resented the people that had, including my family members that had left it. I definitely ran on resentment in my pursuits as an entrepreneur and my ideologies at the time, which were much more right-wing, I guess you could say. Um And all of that was based off of resentment. It was this awareness of that resentment had closed my heart off. And I was disassociated from my own humanity and the humanity of others. And it was at that point where I realized that I had a lot of inner work to do. And that was around 2011 when when I really came face to face with the fact that I was not okay for my childhood trauma, that I had wrapped tightly around that wound of the bandage of church, religion, marriage, identity. And it was time to unravel it. It was time to take the wound and expose it to light and see what happens. And that was really when I first began that journey.
0: It sounds like significant wounds, plural, um, from all of those different things. Can you take me back a little bit and maybe... Um, expand on some of those, like how they came to be. Uh, and again, you don't have to go super deep if it's uncomfortable.
1: No, no, I, I'm very transparent. Thank you, though, for that. Um, so, you know, the, the primary wound is a, is a, was, a, was a mother wound and a father wound. Those were the big ones. And th- that's where, you know, once you have a mother wound and a father wound, you, you deal with that shit for the rest of your life in some form. It took me up until even this last year to understand that it was all a gift. Fully embrace that idea, but um, I uh, my mom was um, dealt with a lot of mental health issues. was raised in a violent, poverty stricken home, and not equipped to be the parent of someone like me, which is precocious and opinionated and defiant. And that that kind of that's that first sense I think of rejection. Um, that I felt like there, there was something wrong with me, that I had somehow, I was had some inherent flaw that had caused her to be violent towards me. Now, my mom and I, over the last five years, have since reconciled. She's a dear friend. Um, I admire her. I understand her perspective, not her behavior. I don't condone her, be- her, her behavior. Um, and then there was the father wound. And what that was, was a absence of... Healthy masculinity, and so what? That you know, the, the the primary point of masculinity in someone's life is that you have a you develop a healthy ego, and I developed no ego, so I became very malleable and very um, you know in search of an identity. Um, and then you know those wounds stayed there, and you know you add that to violence, and you know I can give you the alphabet soup of ADHD, HSP uh, complex PTSD, all of that stuff was, was either part of the map of my psyche to begin with, or was, or was influenced by these external stimulants that were happening in my life. And it stayed somewhat dormant until my former partner, Lena, 27 years after, you know, I left home came out as gay And all of the rejection and all of the questioning of my masculinity and all of those things were brought to the surface. And I think it was at that point where I realized that the systems I'd created to prevent me from feeling those things were now preventing me from growing and getting what I really want out of life.
0: Preventing you from feeling maybe at all
1: yeah correct. yeah. and
0: it like installed so much protection. I, I kind of think of it like you know protection, like you put up a wall around your house or a gate around your house, and it's to keep you in and keep you safe, but it also keeps everything out.
1: Yeah, and I think that there were there were bits and there were bits and pieces of it. Um, you know, I had no doubt I had unconditional love for my sons as an example. Every other relationship there was it wasn't it was there was great love but it was not from a place of wholeness and purity um, when you're wounded, it seems like if you're wounded you kind of go down one of two paths or you have a dominant version and a, and a, a secondary version of this which is to either be a people controller or a people pleaser and I had been um, habitually a people controller so I mixed deceit and truth. I used, uh, I practiced emotional blackmail unconsciously. Um, I had ridiculous standards that I did not live up to, but I expected other people to. Um, all of that was the result of these wounds um, that I had. I realized that now um, and that a lot of my behavior was, it wasn't a coping mechanism even. It was a, it was connection seeking. It was like this desperate need to connect with something and all of my predisposition as an Enneagram eight and a D in the disc and a Scorpio and all that stuff. Predisposition was I was going to have to do that through my own will and charm. And I don't do either of those anymore. I mean, I still have hope I have will and I hopefully occasionally have some charm, but I'm not using will and charm to try to get me what I think I need.
0: I think that's a really good point that you bring there for people who have been in some type of dysfunction and or trauma within their life. For you, I'm hearing trauma compounded by trauma. um, So I can see why you were saying about it being wrapped. There was so many layers to it. But I think coming through that, part of what we're doing is is we're trying to figure out, like you said, how do you get your emotional needs met? And you're picking up one of those two sticks. And um, really, those two types that you mentioned They are really good companions because the people pleaser loves a people controller and the people controller looks for those people pleasers. And again, they're not healthy ways of relating, but they're what you've done so far Mm -hmm. because again, ego or self is the emotional self is trying to get needs met.
1: Right. Right. And I, I think that's the work of consciousness. Um, is a returning to the core self. You can call it the Christ or the Buddha or the whatever you, you know, whatever someone wants to call it. There's some sort of essential core self. Jung believed this as well and in the the idea of mapping out someone's psychological profile. And so consciousness for me was the awareness of that all of these disparate parts and pieces and dichotomies and paradoxes, we're all working towards a state of wholeness, a state of harmony. Um, and, you know, one of the feelings I didn't feel for years until I had really kind of a second awakening was remorse um, or grief. I didn't really feel those things. Um,
0: grief towards? Just gr- towards grief and
1: at a, at a hel- like uh, grieving, like uh, the death of someone close. I felt sort of numb to that. You know, I mean, I, I knew I was supposed to feel sad, but I didn't, um, I wasn't happy about it. I just didn't feel it, you know, and there was a lot of that, you know, dep- dep- anxiety and, 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 and unresolved trauma kind of shrink your, uh, emotional palate down to very basic, like Duplo blocks, you know, of existence. And, I also understood that you know when you when you don't have when you don't heal the wounds if you don't work on the wounds um almost all of your life is either the avoidance of additional pain or the chasing of pleasure um and it was that dopamine chasing that that was that was in there as well and I think all of that began to really get into where I'm at over the last year and a half into the state of a conscious acceptance of myself, excitement about the future, this blend uh, that I've long sought between challenge and contentment. All of that mm-hmm. is the result of doing, doing that work. Um, and I, I think Laura, a, a common thing that causes people to stop doing this work is fear. They they work on the fear. They try to get rid of the fear or the worry or the doubt or the anxiety. And all all you do when you try to get rid of it is you make it stronger. And so I, got, well, I, got I think new-
0: part of that fear is that we have to look at ourselves so brutally, honestly, that we're going to see things we don't like, and then we end up rejecting that part of ourselves. And there's further rejection, or we make the assumption that if anyone ever finds that out, there'll be additional rejection. So there's self-abandonment or projected abandonment.
1: Right. Yeah. And I There's think not that- not an
0: understanding it can be resolved.
1: Hmm. Right. And you have to, and the whole point is that your trauma or your wounds are meant to be, they're meant to become strengths. That, you know, the apostle Paul talked about that um, as an example and others, uh, Nelson Mandela and Viktor Frankl, the people that have been through great suffering have thought about that, have, have arrived at that conclusion. And most of the work I've done in the last year isn't really about healing anymore. It's been about integration. Um, the, the idea, the Ken Wilber idea that life is really about transcending and integrating, transcending and integrating. And we're evolutionary creatures. So it makes sense that we are taking our experiences and integrating them into our lives. And in the process, the, the way to do that is you have to touch your fears. You have to sit down and it's like you cannot figure out a fear by thinking about it in the sense of like, you can't learn how to swim by reading a book on swimming as an example. You can't learn how to integrate fear, which is a completely heretical idea in a lot of circles. You you can't learn to integrate fear if you're trying to avoid the feelings that fear produces.
0: Absolutely. And I know that you've said that for you, you chose some methods that were self-administered and a lot of people, you know, sometimes they seek out a therapist or there may be some additional tools Um, and perhaps you've developed some tools from the work you've done. So can you tell me a little bit more about, and I know you're very intentional, (laughs) Justin, can you tell me a little bit more about this practice of unraveling things and looking at those fears? Like how do you do that? Like if someone's listening here and they're freaked Mm -hmm. out, how do you do that when you're already in a place of such maybe tremendous pain because of that deep-seated trauma?
1: Yeah, I think um, you need to write, start by writing down all of your questions. And I think that there are two perennial questions, really maybe more than two, but two that need to be revisited because we change. And that is, who am I and what do I want? Um, when you begin to write down the questions, you, what that does is it prompts your soul and your psyche to go uh, in at the mindset of inquiry and curiosity. Um, if you're not curious about your fears or your wounds, it's really basically impossible to work on them. You you end up doing things that are surface sort of uh, remedial uh, coping devices, but not really doing the work. And it begins with questions, questioning everything. Um, being a skeptic of your own bullshit is another one. Um, I, I refer to mental narratives as the false gods of the psyche. Your mental narratives are never true. It doesn't matter how rosy and delusional they are. They're not true. And it doesn't matter how dark and nihilistic they are. They're not true. What's true are facts, but the narratives we have, those aren't true. So that's another area that I would encourage people to do. And that's what I do on a daily basis. I examine my narratives. What is my head saying? what does it mean don't try to chase it away just try to understand it um a couple of other things that have become very have been very important resources to me are um journaling not a surprise but it's the consistency of journaling i love the morning pages model you just sit and write you write and i fill one page unless i'm really got a lot to get out i just fill one page and i'm done um using um uh, more observational meditation styles i'm a huge fan of waking up by sam harris Um, especially as someone with adhd and if you have adhd med- traditional like quiet the mind meditation practices are actually really dangerous um for a person with adhd Um, i am a big believer in centering prayer if someone wants to learn more about that um you can check out Thomas Keating's work. Thomas Keating was a Catholic mystic that kind of identified this idea of centering prayer. Um, externally, um, I have I am a, I'm a big believer in internal family systems or parts therapy, um, of understanding that we are a composite of parts that Jung was or Freud was wrong about most things. He was wrong about 80 percent of how he thought the psyche worked. And Jung was far more accurate in how that we are a core self with parts around us. Um, so externally, uh, that has that has helped um, significantly. Um, you know, friends.
0: And that's or- something, let me interrupt for a moment. The yeah. internal family okay. systems is um, not a book that you read or something you do on your own. That's usually with a yes. practitioner, correct?
1: That is correct. Yeah, that's so what I'm saying. External is things like you go to get this work done by looking for someone that can do you know, look at the, the, the term is IFS or internal family systems, which as a branding guy, the term needs to be rebranded because it sounds like it's about family and it's, it's really not. It's about your integrating your various parts into a whole, a whole being. Um, but I didn't really use um, a lot of ex- other external things. I mean, some of it was related to the, in the last couple of years of the pandemic and everything, but I didn't, I'm not a joiner. I'm not a retreat, a guy that goes to, I'm not, I don't interest in retreats or 10 day silent things or any, and I'm, I'm a libertarian in all things. So if somebody likes that, that's fine. But for me, it was that combination of existing resources, um, like walking in nature, um, observational inquiry, um, inquisitiveness. And the boldness to actually say what I wanted out loud and write it down. Um, and I think, you know, I, I have this, it's it's an interesting question because I, I feel like I'm at a point where I, I, rather than being present backwards, I'm being, I'm much more present forward. Um, I'm not attached to the future or outcomes, but I do have a vision of where I want to be, you know, the proverbial future self or future state. For 50 years plus, I was very barely present and mostly uh, past-oriented, which is really what resentment is. Resentment is based largely on past grievances. Um, and so as I think about new tools moving into this state of crafting a future, um, it's a whole other set of tools. I still am doing the journaling, I'm still doing centering prayer, I'm still doing meditation, but there's other tools that are coming to bear that are really more about crafting the future.
0: Hmm. Well, I have a question about one of the tools that you mentioned about really delving into your own narrative. And so for some people they could call that self-talk or the voices in my head or the stories that we tell ourselves um, around memories or things that are currently happening. And you also mentioned planting those seeds, those questions. And I'm certain that there's probably some listeners out there that are like, well, um, I don't know what I want. So when you plant those seeds and ask yourself those questions and you go to your journal and nothing comes, did, I mean, did you have that kind of moment? Did you have those days where there wasn't, there wasn't a clear idea, and what did you do?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think we do know what we want. I think we listen and we're still. And st- what really what it is is we want to be told. We want to be told what we're supposed to want, or we want to figure it out without while we're doing everything else. And I went through a dark night of the soul uh, about a two month period in october and november of 2020 and all i did was sit pretty much outside i got work done i had to talked to friends did a few things but mostly what i did is i just i just stopped and i realized that if you're chasing dopamine or chasing affirmation or chasing something you can't really know what you want because your whole system as a human is, is being used to, in the pursuit of something they, the, the the example often is the pursuit of happiness and which I don't believe happiness is pursued. I think it's, I think it's an outcome, not a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that process, I did begin to understand what I want. And, and I, then I think the next thing is, is this fear of disappointment by claiming, proclaiming what you want to God or the universe or to your friends or whatever you are you are, you are are stating something that's enormously risky. And especially if you're already have heartache, especially if you already feel wounded and broken, but do it anyway. There's something about the bold proclamation of what you want that's very attractive to fortune, that's very attractive to provenance. Um, and I don't know how it works. I don't need to know how it works. But I do know that if you don't say it, or you bullshit yourself by saying, well, I don't really know what I want, then all you're doing is you're participating in your own tyranny. You're participating in your own smallness. And just think it's, it's it. it maybe sounds like rearranging cliches here, but it really is about thinking big. It really is about like, this is what I want.
0: I really appreciate you saying this because I, I know there's people out there that, like you said, they are caught up in the activity of the life of life, and they believe that if they stop, kind of like a shark, (laughs) they'll die. Mm -hmm. So they've got to keep moving. And I think there's also people who are afraid to be with their thoughts because, like you said, that dream will bubble up. And as exciting as it is, it also scares them that they may have to tear down everything they've built to go a different direction. Um, And I know that for a lot of people, that stillness seems antithetical to dream pursuit. And I think of it kind of like that your, your soul is sick. And when your soul is sick, it would be just like if you had a cold, you wouldn't try to train for the marathon. (laughs) You wouldn't try to put in extra hours at work. You would pare back and you would sit still to let the body heal. And so I kind of think of it when, you're, when you don't know what you want, that's really, to me, a symptom that your soul is sick and you need to be still and let it come back to that balance point. And then you can hear that dream. And if it scares you a little bit, I always think you're on the right track there.
1: You're right. Um, totally. And I think that the practice, like if I was to look at it from a daily must have practice, like everything is predicated off of this and that is getting centered. You know, there's the the eight C's of the core self, like creativity, compassion, courage, and all of that's within the center of your being. And what stillness does is it forces you first to understand that you're not centered. You're off and it's you're fidgety or you're sad or you're agitated or you're or you're overstimulated or you're depressed. Whatever state you're in, stillness is like holds up a mirror and goes, Well, here's where you're at. But then you can begin to do the work of centering. And when you're centering, clarity is one of the other C's of the eight C's of core self. When you have clear when you have that clarity that comes from only from being still, then you can. And you can go back to that again and again, because life will knock you off center. Um, Nothing works out as planned. That's the assumption. Most of it, we don't know what's going on. And it's, it's only in sort of Western society, especially American culture, that there's this expectation of the future. And if it doesn't happen, then I'm sad. If you're a centered person, which is really what the stoics taught and Jesus and Buddha all great spiritual teachers but especially in stoic philosophy if you're centered it doesn't matter what comes it doesn't matter what comes some of it's going to really really suck but it has no bearing on your value your worth your your happiness even this is something like hurricane carter the boxer that was in that was uh improperly or unjustly imprisoned for many decades, he arrived at the whole conclusion that the point isn't to be happy, it's to be free. And that freedom begins on the inside, not on some sort of change of external conditions.
0: Absolutely. So all of these practices that you're talking about that helped bring you into that centering mode, it wasn't just a, oh, this is how I fix my life. This little formula, this little cold and flu remedy that I'm taking right here is going to put me right, but rather what I'm hearing you say is it's it's a lifetime practice. It's it's always returning back to that because that's really that's where you steer from.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially if you're a, tr- a childhood trauma survivor, uh, those those wiring points don't really go away. Um, you learn to integrate them and you learn to recognize them, but they don't really go away and. And so in that process, you are, you are returning again and again on a daily basis to your center so that not that you, so that you heal from the trauma, which I don't think is a thing. I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's a a real thing. But what you do is you recognize that the trauma is an opportunity to work on something. The trauma response is a, is not, is not about the thing. It's the thing about the thing. Um, especially in relationships, um, almost all of my trauma responses, probably all of my trauma responses are relationship oriented, which makes sense when the primary wound was a mother wound. Um, that makes sense. And I think that where I see people get, contribute to their own suffering here is one is to over identify with the pathology of fixing start with the idea that there's actually nothing wrong with you. You have a series of things that happen to you. Yes. But there's nothing wrong with you. You don't have some character flaw or defect or anything like that. None of that's true.
0: I absolutely agree. Um, However, you know that a predominance of religions and a predominance of the marketing world have encultured us to believe otherwise. That there's yes. always something wrong with us. Yes. There's always something to fix. We need a new year, a year to get a new get you. A
1: <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. That's yes. It's and and now we have now. There's a what's been this way for a while. But as is the spiritual world or the 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 spiritual non-religious world has become more and more popular. It's brought its own purity culture and judgy and priests and gurus and all of this stuff. All the, reminding you. You need to fix that, you know, um, and so that, but but that's someone else's business model. It's not you. It, it doesn't you don't need to fix it. You need to accept that you have reactions to what happened to you. And that's it. And then you get to choose. You get to choose your narrative every single time. You don't get to choose the facts, but you do get to choose your narrative. The second thing I see is an over-identification with the wound, um, which would be commonly referred to as martyrdom or victimhood. And I don't lack compassion for people like this, but I do get frustrated with them. Is that your what happened to you does not make you special. What makes you special is what you do with what happened to you. If you really want to be a badass, you don't it's not that you you martyr you you become a martyr and you become over-identified. You learn to integrate it. You learn to, as I have a new tattoo that says, fear is the door to strength. You could put trauma is the door to strength um, in there as well. And I think the third area is they, is people go outside of themselves to find some answer to the questions that they have. And certainly there are great spiritual teachers and coaches and, and, and whatnot that are important. Or if you need something technical done like therapy or whatnot or, or even something like Tantra or something that's a, that requires a practitioner. That's okay. But all the good ones are going to do in that case is just be reflective back to you. And it's this perpetual pursuit of the next thing that's going to make me feel better. And then the dopamine wears off and now I'm sad again and I got to go in search of this. And it's this loop of those three things of, of, of kind of walking around and around this circle of, those those three areas of fixing, over identifying, and over pursuing and back around again and back around again. And it's all optional. No one is making us do it. We're doing it because for some reason we get some benefit out of it.
0: So what's, what's the new, the new loop? loop? If that's the old loop of three things, what's your new three things?
1: I think it's I think that's such a great question. I think the new loop is acceptance. Um,
0: you start with acceptance.
1: you start with acceptance. This sucks. I love this. I have this fear. I have this one. this reality acceptance. The second one is um I think um almost like analysis. We have to get our left brains involved and in, we have to use more systems thinking than we realize when it comes to joy and This is the role of ritual as an example. It's a system to uh, perpetuate um, a sense of newness. It's that eternal spring that Jesus talked about. So I think that's analysis. And then the third one is action. What are you going to do? What can you do? And one of my favorite books is by William Whitecloud called The Magician's Way. And there's these, it's a fable. And one of the lessons of The Magician's Way is that there's always uh n- nothing to do but action to take and it's not going to be necessarily something on your task list for the day it's going to be usually some decision to be made that will lead to a major change that you've been avoiding a type of spiritual procrastination but if you're accepting and analyzing and taking action i really do believe that's that's its own flywheel of creativity and joy and meaning and purpose and all the things that we really want. But not if we don't do those things. And We have to move from one loop to the next.
0: Triple A, a new kind of triple (laughs) A. I like that alliteration. (laughs) Well, you and I've had a small debate over this, but I'm going to give you the floor because I want each of my guests to express themselves in this topic. Um, This podcast is about healing. It's about people finding their own healing. And I'd like to hear your own definition just around that word.
1: I, I think uh, it's I'm a linguist by by profession. And so I think this is where I, I'm, you know, I'm a mystic that happens to be scientific too. So I look at it from, for example, the term like chemical imbalance. That's not, there's never been, that's never been scientifically proven. It was sort of a a made up term. Uh, Halitosis is another one. That's a, that's a marketing term, not a medical term. And so my, my, a gentle pushback with healing is that healing is often a word used by someone that's trying to sell something. Um, And so this is about being healthy skepticism. I do believe that we need to heal. Most of it we do ourselves. And to me is Healing is simply a return to wholeness. I don't think it's more than that. Um, It's returning to wholeness, but we don't stop there. It's like the hero's journey. When the hero comes home, there's something else that needs to happen. It's what Stephen Pressfield calls the artist's journey after that. Um, And and, uh, Julia Cameron has a a similar model. And so the point to healing is not that we heal and we're done. And now I'm just going to live my life. It's so that we can go out and live as who we truly are. It's so we can go out and be a mystic, a healer, a warrior, a teacher, whatever we're doing. Healing is the way to get to the point where we're actually living the life that we are supposed to live and really want to live. Um, so that's 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 what I view I view healing with a healthy dose of, dose of skepticism around the term when it comes to marketing in particular.
0: Thank you. I appreciate your perspective. Lastly, I would love to see if you have any guidance for anyone else out there that maybe is identified with something you've talked about here today, whether it's trauma or healing wounds or taking that time for self-reflection. Is there something that you want to share or encourage them about?
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, so we, ha- we know this, that the, the human mind is predisposed significantly to dualistic thinking. Dualistic thinking or binary thinking is amplified by trauma, good, bad, positive, negative, pleasant, unpleasant. It's amplified by trauma. And it is really amplified if you're uh, neuro, if you are neurodiverse, if you have ADHD or ADD or autism or um and just it, it, uh dyslexia some of the neurodiversity stuff it's really even more enhanced then so the thing is the thing that i strongly encourage people to learn to do is to find what i call the third way so whenever you're presented with a choice or only two options or some sort of black and white spectrum or good to bad spectrum like i said is find the third way and there's a point for dualism. We need dualism, especially when we're in danger um, or we need dualism to get shit done. But it's a tool. It's not actually supposed to be a state of being. And you, if, you, if you're listening to this and you don't know where to start and maybe you don't even want to write down all the questions, we'll just start by questioning when any idea that you have or anything that you subscribe to or you've been, you, you're thinking about adopting is find the third way. And um, so that's number one. Number two is it's just going back to something I said before, is you cannot change the facts, but you so totally can change the narrative. So focus on that. Focus on what is the story you are telling yourself about what happened to you? Um, and so I do all of this. I, I talk about this a lot in a, a, a community I call The Third Way. Um, you can look at it. You can find it. a link to it to subscribe on fosterthinking.com. And
0: and I'll include really, it in the show notes.
1: Thank you. It's really driven by um, this idea that the soul is the soul which runs on love is non-binary, and we are been, we've been shoved into thousands of years of binary systems, and that produces a whole bunch of biases that warp our sense of reality. Um, that and so uh, I, I that's. That's a starting point though those those two ideas that I shared those were starting points um, to beginning some process of healing, or maybe you' tried the healing and you can't get there and or or you quit because it was too painful, or I'm very aware uh, now especially, that being given the opportunity to heal is a significant privilege um if you're a a poor person in central america trying to make ends meet you're not necessarily thinking about healing you're thinking about not dying um, and so if you've been given the opportunity to heal don't fuck it up um it is a privilege and and when you do it when you do that work then the whole world's going to benefit from that so it it is there is it's selfish but it's good selfish cuz everyone benefits from it
0: very true And I appreciate you bringing up just the concept of the third way because that's something anybody could do right now in their next conversation that they have with someone where they feel like they're on different sides. And Mm -hmm. it made me think about those the eight Cs that you were talking about. So thinking about that third way, you've got to be courageous. Mm -hmm. You've got to be creative. You've Mm -hmm. got to be maybe compassionate. Mm -hmm. Um, And, again, it's going to give you some clarity that – you know, I, I think like the first step of healing is not so much finding the solution; mm-hmm. it's finding a small measure of relief. And even just beginning to focus on the third way can can help shift that just that that small amount mm-hmm. uh, to give you a little relief in your present situation. Yes. Well, thank you, Justin. As always, it's been a fantastic conversation. I always appreciate your insights and all that you bring to the table. I'm going to try to do some justice to the books that you recommended in the That's show it. notes. Um, but otherwise, thank you again so much for being here and sharing with the listeners your, your ideas. Thank you um, so much. Around,
1: thank you. Thank you.
0: If you have come this far, I want to thank you so much for the gift of your attention, to hear more amazing healing stories Please subscribe. This podcast has been brought to you by the Hearts of Healing Center. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to bringing more light, love, healing, and hope by freely offering holistic healing services to our local and global community. To learn more about us and to see more details from today's episode, be sure to check out the show notes. And don't forget, you are more than your body. You are more than your mind. You are the Guru, and the Guru is you.